series. I want to thank you guys for for your prayers while we were gone. Uh, we've been gone the last couple of weeks. Last week, Gina and I had the privilege to go and serve the sister church in Richmond, Virginia, a Sovereign Grace Church over there, and um, minister to their church and a number of folks that were there and just get a chance to meet their people. You know, it's it is really an awesome thing. We have been on the receiving end of care and sacrifice by the Sovereign Grace Churches who have sent teams. They had folks there who had, that had been down here. Some of these folks have been in your homes and rummaged around in your garbage and helped to clean things out. Uh, but, you know, to walk in the into a place where people are so connected with you, you've never met them in your life. You know, they, they were quoting things off the blog pages that you guys would put on there. They were reading that. Laura, thank you for doing that. I've heard so many folks that continue to say how they connected with us as a result of that blog page. Um, but what a blessing it is to have family outside of ours that is praying for us. Uh, that, I mean, they were up to speed. They knew what was going on. They were eager to hear the updates of, of how you all are doing. And it was just very exciting for me to be able to to share uh, our experience together in walking through the event since Katrina. These are folks who, they just completed their uh, a building that they've moved into in uh, October, I believe they moved in. And so they, they obviously have the challenges of, of the joy of being in a new facility, that they hadn't had a building for 16 years, they've been meeting without one. And they finally got a chance to, to build and to be in a building, but now that they face the realities of having to pay for that building. And... Uh, to be with them in their excitement, but what was, was just added to that joy was for them to uh, give an offering to the church for our rebuilding of $5,000 uh, in the midst of their own need. Was, was It was just wonderful. It was a great time, but it is certainly great to be back here. Uh, we're going to miss you guys again. We're, we have the opportunity to go next week to San Diego and connect with the church in San Diego, Horizon, that was such a, a huge part of caring for us and encouraging us. And so we, we're going to seek to return the favor and, and bless them as we go next week. So we'll miss you guys again. And this has been very hard for me to not want to be a part of every week in this series. It's been torture. Uh, but I know you have been served incredibly well by Peter and by Matt the last couple of weeks. Yeah, absolutely. Thank you, guys. Thank you, guys. Well, this morning, um, I, I didn't want us to get too close to the end of this series without facing the realities of application. You know, it's, it's, it's always easier to hear stuff than it is to do stuff. And so at this point, uh, there's probably a variety of experiences going on as we interact with this subject on freedom. Um, let me just take a couple of quick polling questions here. How many guys through this series, and this is in no way an attempt to uh, promote the, the men who have shared with us, but to acknowledge the grace of God, uh, how many guys have been encouraged as we've gone through this material together? How many guys have received some fresh insights for this area in your life? Um, how many guys have received fresh motivation from God to approach this area in your life? I hope you guys are sharing some of this stuff when you're together in covenant groups. I hope you're just not raising hands here and then when you get there you look like the frog who doesn't dance anymore when you take them out of the box when you get into the covenant group. 
Right? And all the covenant group leaders are looking around saying, you haven't said anything. You're raising your hand now. <laughs> How many of you guys have been intimidated by your issues as you've walked through this? Let's be honest. You're tempted to, to walk free of this. How many of you have been frustrated as you've walked through these things? I mean, if you really have an issue in your life that's been there for any length of time, I would imagine breaking free is going to involve frustration. And so there is a, there's a great difficulty in freedom, and I kind of want to attack the question today, why is freedom so difficult? Why is this such a difficult thing in our lives? Well, I'm going to wax... A wax patriotic this morning and they give away the fact that I was in Virginia for the last several days and hanging around the land of the Patriots and uh, visiting. We, Gina and I got to stay an extra day to visit Washington, D.C., so we were in the National Archives reading through the Constitution and the Declaration of Independence. And So you're going to get some rewording of some of those things. Listen to this thought. These are the times that try men's souls. Tyranny, like hell, is not easily conquered. Yet we have this consolation with us that the harder the conflict, the more glorious the triumph. What we obtain too cheap, we esteem too lightly. Heaven knows how to put a proper price upon its goods. And it would be strange indeed if so celestial an article as freedom should not be highly rated. And that was spoken by Thomas Paine. You know, the historian Thomas Paine would have been living right around the time of the Declaration of Independence and the Revolutionary War. And what's interesting in both this quote and the next one is, is if you, if you removed it from its context and you set it within the church, and you talked about the reality of living the Christian life and facing the tyrannies of sin and the ruler of this world that all of us are facing his opposition, these quotes would play so well. Many of these men were very biblically informed men, and I believe that's why the tone of their language is the way it is. But they, they wrote almost in a foreign language, right? This is English, but it's not English in some ways. You just, people just don't speak this way. But I want to make this point in a big way today. Freedom requires fighting. If you want to be free, if you want to live at true peace, then war will have to precede that event. You won't have peace without war. And it's an interesting conflict of our expectations. And I've stolen today's title from this quote. My title for today is, If We Wish to Be Free... We must fight. Patrick Henry said, If we wish to be free, if we mean to preserve and violate those inestimable privileges for which we have been so long contending, if we mean not basely to abandon the noble struggle in which we have been so long engaged and which we have pledged ourselves never to abandon until the glorious object of our contest shall be obtained, we must fight. Now, what Patrick Henry said back then had application in this context to the future of this country, to the revolutionary war that would need to be fought in order for freedoms and liberty to become a reality for people in the future. And what, 
what jumps out at you as you observe these men's lives is the, the willingness on their part to sacrifice their own lives in order to achieve a goal of freedom. But listen to this for a moment. You ever wondered what happened to the 56 men who signed the Declaration of Independence? We often have the document, but we don't really follow their story. They signed, and most of us don't know beyond John Hancock, who else was there signing this thing. But these men had lives, but they believed something that caused them to live a life that was going to cost them something in their pursuit of freedom. Listen to just a couple of their stories. Carter Braxton of Virginia, a wealthy planter and trader, saw his ships swept from the seas by the British Navy. He sold his home and properties to pay his debts and died in rags. Thomas McKern was so hounded by the British that he was forced to move his family mostly, almost constantly. He served in the Congress without pay, and his family was kept in hiding. His possessions were taken from him, and, prop, and, po, and poverty was his reward. Vandals, or soldiers, looted the properties of Dillery, Hall, Clymer, Walton, Gwinnett, Hayward, Rutledge, and Middleton. At the Battle of Yorktown, Thomas Nelson, Jr., noted that the British General Cornwallis had taken over the Nelson home for his headquarters. He quietly urged General George Washington to open fire. The home was destroyed, and Nelson died bankrupt. Francis Lewis had his home and properties destroyed. The enemy jailed his wife, and she died within a few months. John Hart was driven from his wife's bedside as she was dying. Their 13 children fled for their lives. His fields and his gristmill were laid to waste. For more than a year, he lived in forests and caves, returning home to find his wife dead and his children vanished. A few weeks later, he died from exhaustion and a broken heart. Norris and Livingston suffered similar fates. Such were the stories and sacrifices of the American Revolution. These were not wild-eyed, rabble-rousing ruffians. They were soft-spoken men of means and education. They had security, but they valued liberty more. See, in, in the face of the tyranny of, at that point, King George, these men had a belief for which they were willing to part with their comforts, their way of life, the the wealth that they had obtained to at that point, and to put their lives on the line for something in the future that many of them would never get a chance to enjoy. You know, I've, I've, there was a movie that I'd seen a couple of years ago about the American Revolution, and I remember watching the conflict of those who were at this point in their life. They were colonists who had to make a decision about whether they would become part of the colonial army or whether they would continue to try and be at peace with Britain and enjoy the lives that they had that were, were good lives in many, many ways, or whether to put their life on the line for the sake of liberty that others would enjoy for years to come. And I sat there watching that thinking, I don't know if I'd have done that. i got one shot at living life. I'm going to go off, sign up for a battle that within 
a year, I could be dead and my one shot is over. Only so that somebody else has a shot at something better. But those were how these men lived. And, and they're not the only people in history. Right? Remember World War II. My dad uh, was in World War II. He comes from a generation that saw life differently, very differently. The news items today about the war in Iraq and how it's being handled, and should we be there? You know, if you're an old veteran of foreign wars, you don't get this discussion. You just don't get it. Because freedom is something you fight and die for. Now listen to, listen to Winston Churchill when he faced the tyranny of Adolf Hitler. I would say to the House, as I said to those who have joined this government, I have nothing to offer but blood, toil, tears, and sweat. We have before us an ordeal of the most grievous kind. We have before us many, many long months of struggle and of suffering. You ask, what is our policy? I will say, it is to wage war by sea, land, and air with all our might and with all the strength that God can give us. To wage war against a monstrous tyranny never surpassed in the dark, lamentable catalog of human crime. That is our policy. You ask, what is our aim? I can answer in one word. Victory. Victory at all costs. Victory in spite of all terror. Victory, however long and hard the road may be. For without victory, there is no survival. Now, these were these were men with convictions in their lives. You know, and I want to ask us, you know, where are we in this realm of, of convictions in our lives? You know, if you're a convictionless person, and quite honestly, this this attempt at plural thinking that's in our society almost begins to zap the edges off of convictions. You know, everybody just kind of everybody just kind of come to the to the middle and and taste like bland oatmeal. You know, don't anybody be spicy in one direction. You know, but it, it's convictions that that give rise to motivation, that give rise to the flavoring of our lives. I mean, when you wake up in the morning, what are you excited about? What convictions do you own in your life that you want to achieve something and do something before the curtain closes on your life? Or do you just wake up, well, I'm just meandering through life. This is not a whole lot that matters to me. What a bland, boring existence. These guys had convictions. They lived their lives and they made sacrifices out of those convictions. But remember this. Convictions don't necessarily equal freedom. Just because you believe something and really feel something, it doesn't mean you're free. You know, between desires and reality, there's warfare. There's bloodshed. There is difficulty. There are trials. There are tears between those realities. And we see that whether you're talking about the Revolutionary War or whether you're talking about World War II, or whether you're talking about the Christian life. Unfortunately, this, this language and tone of, that once framed the thinkers of this country, are, it's difficult to find that today. In America, freedom doesn't have that kind of value to it. Today, uh, we live in the good of people who believe that. 
We enjoy the freedoms that those convictions in their lives and the blood that they shed and the sweat that they perspired in their life. We're living in the good of that. But unfortunately, in our country, uh, we have fallen in love with comfort and peace. We love comfort and peace. We don't want to be disturbed. We don't want to be disrupted. We don't even pay attention sometimes. We're just busy about prosperity. We're busy about enjoying freedom. We don't give any thought to fighting for it. And unfortunately, that same mindset, which is always true, I think Tozer was the one who said that the church is quite often the caboose on the train where the world is the engine. And wherever the engine is, eventually the caboose ends up. And in America, wherever the culture is today, the church, unfortunately, quite often finds itself there 10 or 15, 20 years later. And so... In a, in a world, in a country that loves comfort and ease, the church has grown to love comfort and ease. We love comfort and ease. We, we love Christianity being easy. We love messages that are about how to make us feel better, how, to, how prosperous you can be, how much you can have, how much more comfortable. Are you comfortable now? How much more comfort can you have if you just learn to believe the right way, do the right thing? We, we, we don't love certain dynamics that Christianity is all about. Christianity is about war. Christianity is about bloodshed and dying and tears and challenge. Listen to this, Revelation 12, verse 11. And they have conquered him, referring to Satan, by the blood of the Lamb and by the word of their testimony, for they loved not their own lives, even unto death they love not their lives they conquered they won because they were willing to die that's why they won see we want to be free but but we want to die to have it now in what we're talking about here in this series we're not talking about physically going off and getting a bullet but we are talking about facing something about our lives that may have to die we get used to how we're living our life. We get used to how we're relating to people. We get used to being in a rut. We get used to our personality. Well, it's just the way I am. And it's not something in us that's willing for that to die for a future freedom, for a future liberty to come into existence in our lives. You don't overcome the devil unless you're willing to die in the exchange. They overcame because of the blood of the Lamb, the word of their testimony, and they didn't love their own lives. And if I love my life, I love the way my life is. I love, I love the taste of the bait in my jail cell. I just don't want to give it up. I love what I'm getting inside of here. I love the sense that I don't have to face the unknowns that are outside my little jail cell. I don't have to face risks and being stretched and challenges. I, I love that, see? Well, then, then you will not conquer the enemy. The testimony of your life will not be one of triumph. By the blood of the Lamb. Because you love something that's conflicting with that. You can't love your life. You cannot love your life. It's all over the Bible. It's everywhere in Scripture. It's step number one to following Christ. Listen to this about the kingdom of God. Matthew eleven twelve. From the time of John the Baptist until now, the kingdom of heaven has suffered violence, and the violent take it by force. Want to see the kingdom of God come in your life? Then you better be prepared to be violent. Oh, that's not my personality. Well, it better be your personality. It better become your personality. 
I'm, I'm not, you know, I'm talking about spiritual things here. I'm talking about aggressiveness. Christianity is an aggressive thing. When you start facing enemies, you, you better not be sitting down. That's not Christianity. Christianity has a sword in its hand. It has armor on it. it it's, it's a warfare. It's a battle. It's a fight. The language of Scripture is the language of a war. And for this series, this is not an easy series, putting this on, having it go from theory on a chalkboard to reality in my 24-hour day, there's going to be blood on the floor at the end of the day. You're going to sweat at the end of the day. I saw an article when we were in Washington about the soldiers who were fighting in Iraq. And they showed these men out moving on a mission. And, you know, these guys are dressed in this incredible amount of gear, long sleeve, boots, huge backpack, vest strapped on them. And it's 116 degrees. Right, at this point, I'm looking for my most raggedy, thin T-shirt for me to go outside in that. These guys, they said, they said you can feel the sweat draining in your boots. But see, it's war. It's, it's, it's not about comfort. And if you and I have grown to love comfort and we love ease, even though we don't like some things about our life, but we, we, we love comfort and we, we don't want to sweat. We don't want to get on the front lines and fight with my personality and the way I am and the way people are and the difficulties of my habits that have been happening for years and years and years of my life. I, I just don't want to fight. Christianity is a war. I don't, know, I don't know what brochure is being passed out in, in too many churches today. Christianity, it's, it's not an invitation to join a suburban country club. Now listen, we're, you know, we're thinking through a lot of dynamics. We're building a building, you know, and, and we are trying to be thoughtful on how we build the building because there's, a, there's, a, there's an element to the building that's about outreach huge element to a building that's about outreach. And, and outreach has to do with convenient parking and uh, you know, things that get provided for folks. That, that's where they're at right now. But I would hope for any Christian that at some point you move quickly from convenient parking to being willing to be dressed in fatigues at 116 degrees. And let's face it, if the, if the air conditioning went out in this building and we told you next week the air conditioning is going to be out again in this building, how many would come back to church next week? And you don't have to raise your hands. <laughs> Five of us would be here, by the way. <laughs> uh, right, we, we love comfort. But Christianity advertises itself as war. Look in these passages, the language of Scripture. 2 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 3. <clears throat> it says, For though we walk in the flesh, we do not war according to the flesh. For the weapons of our warfare are not of the flesh, but divinely powerful for the destruction of fortresses. Now look at the language here. You have war and warfare. You have weapons. You have the destruction of fortresses. This is the Christian life. Now I would ask all of us, what what has been destroyed recently in your life? 
Now listen, now, living in New Orleans, your mind immediately went in the wrong category. I'm talking about what got destroyed by you. Oh, not, not, well, you know, I was a victim of this, and then that happened, and then... Uh... No, this is, this is not about that kind of destruction. This is about the destruction that I go about creating. See, when, the, when there's a war going on, there's stuff that gets blown up. So in my life, I, I, I need to be able to look around and say, okay, where are the, where are the waste places where by the, by the, the army... The, the weaponry of God that exists in my life, that thing that used to exist in my life, now lays in a little pile of rubble. I'm on a mission. And now that that's gone, I move on to the next thing. Armed on a mission to destroy something else. So everybody here ought to have testimony of piles of stuff behind you. If you turn around right now and you look back over your history as a believer, you ought to find when that thing used to be a huge fortress now, it's a pile of rocks. <clears throat> we are destroying speculations and every lofty thing raised up against the knowledge of God. And we are taking every thought captive to the obedience of Christ. Now, right now, you know, it's a jail cell image here. Let me spin this a little bit differently. You're called to walk out of the jail cell and to put something else in it. It's the thoughts in your life that raise themselves up against the knowledge of God, against the truth, and seek to become shackles in your life to keep you on a short leash, to keep you from living for the freedom and glory of God. You're supposed to turn the weaponry of God on those things Blow them up, take prisoners, and stick them in the cells. And so in the same way that there ought to be piles of rubble, there ought to be prisoners of war as well. You ought to be able to sit here this morning and gaze back through the way in which you used to think in areas of your life and say, boy, praise God, I don't think that way anymore. That thing ought to be in a cell. Now I can tell you right now, if you're fighting battles for freedom in these areas, when you stick that sucker in that cell... For the first time, he's going to shake that cage. He's going to climb the walls. He's going to scream vulgarities at you. He's going to reach out through the fence. and do everything in his power to not stay a prisoner. But see, this is a war. Don't be nice to this thing. Take the butt of your gun and bludgeon its ugly nose. I mean, go watch some really nasty World War II movie. Get a chance to see what you treat nasty prisoners like. Do that to the thoughts that raise themselves up in your life against the knowledge of God. They seek, they seek to make empty the promises of God. They seek to make void the power of the truth of God. That's nothing to be friendly with. That's something to be very hostile toward. Look at this other language of Scripture. James 4, verse 1. What is the source of quarrels and conflicts among you? Is not the source your pleasures... Remember that word. Your pleasures that wage war in your members. Now, whether you know it or not, the God of this world is at war with you. Whether you know it or not, sin dwelling in your members is at war with you. Now, if you've taken the day off, let me just tell you, they have not. They're still dressed in fatigues. A laser scope, ready to aim. Looking for how to crawl over the wall into your life. Every day. 
Don't walk around spiritually undressed. You lust and you do not have, so you commit murder. You're envious and cannot obtain, so you fight and quarrel. 1 Peter 2.11 Beloved, I urge you as aliens and strangers to abstain from fleshly lusts, listen, which wage war against the soul. You want to you understand why? On the inside, you can have such a bad day sometimes. Why your soul, why your heart is heavy, why life is not sweet and why it's bitter. Here's why. Because fleshly lusts in us wage war on my soul. They bring weaponry, they bring consistency, they bring surprise attacks, bring air, sea, land assault. Everything in its arsenal is intended to wage war on my soul. Now, this is just biblically informing us. If we don't pay attention to this, you're going to walk out of here a week from now and just start, I'm just having a bad day. I'm just this. Well, you know, this happened and then that happened and then this happened. And look, you know, here's where I am. Well, okay, yeah, that did happen and it is affecting you, but, but can you see something here? When you get severely affected, when your emotions kick in, when you really get bugged by stuff, there's something of a fleshly lust that's waging war on your soul in that moment. Romans 7, verse 23. But I see a different law in the members of my body waging war against the law of my mind and making me a prisoner of the law of sin which is in my members. See, the only thing the Bible could do to get us to understand the nature of our life was to put it in a war context so we'd understand what life as a Christian is about. It's a battle. And here we are, about six or seven weeks into a series on freedom. It's possible to love what you've heard about freedom so far and yet not be one step closer to it. That's very possible. It's very unfortunate, but it's very possible. And what I hope today, what we will cover today, will put on practical components in our everyday life to help us, to help us learn the craft of war. Boot camp is a necessary ingredient for the Christian to learn. I, I need to go to war. I need to learn how to go to war. So I'm, I'm going to try and travel through some scripture today that's going to prepare us for war. Turn to Colossians chapter 3. Colossians chapter 3. And if we pay careful attention to the the context here. Paul is preparing to, to really unlock some revelation that's going to greatly help us. But he's, he's coming into this thought out of some other thoughts. And we're going to borrow from a little bit of that as we move through this. But if you look back in chapter 2, verse 8, remember we talked about this a few weeks ago. See to it that no one takes you captive. Right? This is what we're talking about. Here's the context of our lives in this series. And Paul is going to give advice and wisdom from God about how to not be taken captive. Let's not be put in a jail. He's going to give us some insight on how to do that. <clears throat> He's going to say something right before he gets into chapter 3 here. Look at verse 23. They're very, very insightful. He says, these have indeed 
an appearance of wisdom. He's, he's criticizing some other approaches that are not biblical to dealing with life's issues. He says, these have indeed an appearance of wisdom in promoting self-made religion and asceticism and severity to the body, but they are of no value in stopping the indulgence of the flesh. Now, please hold on to that. Paul is wanting us to avoid captivity and the indulgence of the flesh. And I believe those two are related. Why? Because if you back up into the scriptures we just read, it's the fleshly lusts that wage war on my soul. It's a different thing working in my members. It's, my, it's the cravings that are inside of me that are the warmongers in my life. And so what Paul is about to give me by way of Revelation in Colossians 3 is intended to help rescue me from indulging the flesh. Now, if you, if you hang on that word, indulging the flesh, indulging the flesh. Right? In, in our city, people indulge, you know what I mean? In New Orleans, people indulge. They, they give themselves to something. That's what it is, to indulge the flesh, is to, is to willingly give yourself to something. Now, depending on how we've labeled the issues that are in our lives, we, we might not quite have the conviction that I'm, I'm in a jail cell because I want to be in a jail cell. Well, no, Keith, you don't understand. I had, I had this issue in my life. I had this part of my past. I had these relationships. I had this factor. And, you know, most people who have been through that, this is, this is where they end up. And that almost puts me in the position of being a victim, doesn't it? I'm not in this cell because of me. I'm, I'm a victim. A victim of you know, what others have done. Um, you know, when Jesus turns and says, you know, if somebody strikes you in the face, turn and offer them your other cheek. See, he, he radically undoes some thoughts. He says things that ought to mess with our understanding of, well, that's not reasonable. You see, because I've always had a problem with anger management. If someone were to strike me on the face, they'd be down on the floor. It just would be the way it is. But does it have to be that way? See, someone did something that affected me, and then I chose to do something in response. And quite often, the mess that we get in in our lives it's really, really not, especially in light of redemption, in light of the presence of the Spirit, in light of truth, in light of God working in our lives. It's really not because of what those people have done to me. It's really because how I've responded when those people did what they did to me. So this is the great news about being free. You can be free no matter who's around you and who's been in your past. Because freedom's not bound up. Praise God, freedom is not bound up in who's around you and whether they're towing the line right, just right, whether all your children are behaving, whether your husband's doing the right thing. You know, if everybody just drives their bicycle down the perfect straight and narrow line, I can be free. Now, now none of us would promote that as an ideology, but we live it too much. Now, when I read the Bible, I, I hear where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. Yeah. What is it that means freedom to me? It's the Spirit of God. The Spirit of God comes to dwell amongst sinful people. So I'm going to be around sinful people walking out my freedom and experiencing the freedom that God has for me. Listen to some of the 
the preparation here is. It's the way in which Paul lays out. I put down in your outline Colossians 3 as an, as an overall outline for freedom from indulgence. Freedom from indulging the flesh. And I'm going to just hit these quick points here. The first one is get your theology right. Listen to how the, the flow of thought here is. He just turns the corner. Don't be captive. Don't fall into some philosophy that holds your minds captive. Don't fall into some religious ideas that are really of no value against guarding yourself from indulging your flesh. Here's what you do. Verse 1. If then you have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things that are above and not on things that are on earth. For you've died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with Him in glory. And then immediately, he, like that's enough information right there in what he shared previous just before it, to now move into, okay, now stop doing what you're doing. You know, not, not 38 years of counseling, not, you know, you're going to have to come back, you know, it'll be $80 again next week, you're going to have to come back. Paul quickly moves from those points to put to death, therefore, as a result of what I just said, put to death what is earthly in you. Sexual immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire, covetousness, which is idolatry. Immediately, Paul moves to application. But he moves off of something that I think does have to have some effectiveness in our lives. Let me just make a couple of quick points out of his, out of his outline here. First... Get your theology right. You want, you want to overcome the indulgence of the flesh? We have to get our theology right. And if we, we backed up into chapter 2, which I won't do, you can go back a few weeks ago, we kind of went through that part of the chapter. Uh, in the previous section of, of Colossians 2, Paul covered who Christ is. In Him the fullness of deity dwells. Right? He's God come as a Redeemer. And then he covered not just who he is, but what he's done. Remember, he's gone to the cross. He's nailed your sins to the the cross. And then he's disarmed the rulers and the powers and the principalities. And then the other point that was covered theologically, who he is, what he did, and who you now are, are the three points that get covered in the passages just before this. You're not the same person. You're forgiven. You're, you're a new creation now. The Bible gives us lots of information about the difference in who I am. So even if I've got this horrible past, I've lived through horrible things, when I came to know Christ, I became someone different. That has to mean something to me. Theology can't just be an idea that seems to be understood by guys who write and read big, thick books. But see, I'm, I'm just your average lay person in the church, so... I'm listening to you right now, but I'm really not going there with you. Go there with me! If this doesn't make sense to you, chew on it until it does. The the Bible is a book written for the common guy. This is supposed to turn me inside out. Unfortunately, unfortunately, our theology is thin. Therefore, freedom becomes very difficult. Because what Paul just said, he's convinced of. That's why for him it's, therefore, stop doing these things. Because what he said in the line has got depth to it in his life. His theology means something. It's got to mean something to us. John Stott says, There can be no doxology without theology. You can't worship without having an accurate understanding. It's not possible to worship an unknown God. 
All true worship is a response to the self-revelation of God in Christ and Scripture. If I'm going to respond by fighting to overcome sin and by fighting to become free, I'm going to do it because I believe that I have a general who's going to win. I'm convinced of that. I'm convinced because I really believe what's in Colossians chapter 2. He disarmed the rulers. Well, they don't feel like they're disarmed to me. I feel like when they face me, they are armed and dangerous. But what the Bible says, that in my ability to overcome them, He has disarmed them. Well, I don't, I don't, I don't, I don't feel like I'm strong enough. Well, if Christ is for you, who can be against you? He won the victory. He went and conquered. He put you in Him. You were hidden in Him when He did all the battle and winning. Now you walk in what He's done. Well, I don't know if I understand that. Well, then study it until you do. You run around, you know, crucified with Christ. Therefore, it's no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. Chew on every word until it means something. See, this stuff has to have spending power. It just can't be cute phrases we, we wave our handkerchief at and get excited in church about. Then we walk out and we're miserable out there because it's got no spending power in real life. Get convinced so that, that when, you, when you pull that thing out of its holster, it, it's loaded. It means something to you and you know how it's supposed to be used. If we want to be free, we have to get our theology right. Second, get your thoughts right. Look where Paul moves. He goes from talking about if you've been raised with Christ, seek the things that are, you know, but if that word actually means since, there's a theological implication here. You've been raised with Christ. That's the reality. You're seated with Him in heavenly places. That's the reality. Now, because that theology is true, now He's going to talk to us about our minds. Verse 2, set your minds on things that are above, not on things that are on earth. You want to know why we battle in our jail cells? It's because of the battle in the mind. We live repeating issues because we lose the battle of our thoughts. And here Paul says, you want to be free, you want to overcome indulgence, and you want to avoid captivity. If you want to do that, set your mind on things that are above. And to the degree that you do that, it's the degree you get to experience the freedom. Listen to this thought from Dallas Willard. As we first turned away from God in our thoughts, so it is in our thoughts that the first movements toward the renovation of the heart occur. Thoughts are the place where we can and must begin to change. By thoughts, we mean all the ways in which we are conscious of things. That's a good definition. (laughs) All the ways you're conscious of things, that's your thoughts. That includes our memories, our perceptions, and our beliefs. Now, if you want to look for three tyrannical rulers in your life, might not be King George, but it could be King Memory. And what you remember about what somebody said, or what they did, or what they didn't do, or what you did, and the horrible implications that it had, King Memory can be a terrible tyrant ruling your life. Or King Perception can be just as evil of a ruler in your life when, when you... You perceive that things are a certain way. You perceive that people perceive you a certain way. All that stuff begins to become the basis of your thoughts. These are the things that need to get changed. King beliefs 
No, well, you know, I've just, I've just always been that way. And so, you know, I just, I just believe when people are blah, 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 that they become blah, blah, blah. I just believe that. Okay, well, does that thought get along okay with the Bible? Well, I don't really know. Well, then you're in trouble. I, I mean, I can't even be nice to you. This is a war. Ain't no play going on here. Well, I don't really know what the Bible says about that. And that is your problem. If I don't know what the Bible says, then I'm going to have a really hard time living in the good of what the Bible says. So I have got to get my thoughts right. Third, get your practice right. Verse 5, Paul moves to the realities. Put to death what's earthly in you. And he lists off all these things. And in verse 12, he starts saying, put on these things. This holy and beloved compassion, kindness, humility. Stop doing this and start doing this. Application. At some point, theology gives way to thoughts. Your mind gives way to actions. If you think wrong, you're going to act wrong. I mean, there's just, there's just nothing more complicated than that. If you think wrong, you're going to act wrong. If you want to act right, you're going to have to think right. And the reason that you think right is because your theology is right. Do you understand how these three points go together? I mean, they are so critical. They're very simple, but they're very foundational. And for us to walk in freedom, I have to get my theology right. I have to get my thoughts right. And then I've got to put it on. I've got to apply it. And that's where we want to live today. Now, if I were to try and, and be a prognosticator here of what's, what's going to happen in the future with any of us as we endeavor to walk in freedoms, I'll give you a little form there that we're going to walk through together called a Declaration of Freedom. And in some ways, I would call this thing a freedom forecaster. And the way in which I'm going to encourage you to use it, based on how we do in some of these categories, I would probably be able to say how we're going to do in being free in the future. And, and let, me, let me say this from the beginning here, because if, if you've battled in these issues that are in our life that tend to hang around for a long time, they, they don't want to go away. They, they tend to morph, change, pop up over and over again. Give us a break only to, to pop up again and we're struggling again in them. These kinds of issues can be a little gray cloud over what you believe about God and Christianity. And it would, this would be the sort of issue that would cause you to say something that sounds like, I've tried that, it doesn't work. Now, realize the... the the power of that, a little strange sound here, to stand and say, I've tried that, but it doesn't work. Are we having a problem, Todd? Uh, is to say, God said it would work, and it really doesn't work. God said it would work, but it doesn't work. I don't remember who it was that said, it's not that Christianity has been tried and found wanting, but rather that Christianity has been left untried. So there are truths in the Bible, and if we don't live according to these truths, just because we go to church, own a Bible, and go to a covenant group where people discuss God and the Bible, doesn't mean we're putting any of this stuff on. And so when it comes to these issues, and this is the sad paralysis of the, of the church in America, is that we're walking around all bound up in stuff. Rather than being liberated, rather than experiencing the personal joy that God would have me to experience. Because I won't go to war 
with my issues. I've made peace with it. How many of y'all know what it is to fight issues in your life? I tell you what, if you've ever fought issues in your life that are of any significance, you have shed tears. You have been frustrated. You have fallen, skinned your knee. You have blooded your face. You have, you have been angry. You've been angry at God. You've been angry at the circumstances. You've been angry at everybody around you. you I mean, you have fought this thing. It's not fun to fight. And so when you walk through that enough times, you know what you eventually start doing? You start doing what's going on in the Middle East. You start trading land for peace. Tell you what, I'll let you live in this little corner of my life over here. I, I, I really don't want you in any other area than right here. I'll let you live right here in my life. Um, and, and I'll leave you alone. I know you're there, but I'm going to leave you alone. Now, you can see how well trading land for peace works in the Middle East, right? Here, Lebanon, have a piece of land. No, really, you'll be fine. Have a piece of, we'll all make peace. We'll all get along just fine. Have a piece of land. You stay here. We'll stay here. And we'll have peace. Yeah, right. It doesn't work that way. You give sin a little piece of land... And you, you willingly let it have a little piece of land. And call it what you will. Well, that's just the way I am. Well, that's giving it land. That's, that's, a, that's a foreign language for here, have a piece of land. Well, that's just the way I am. Or I'm Italian. You know, or whatever I am. Well, you, know, you, know, you don't understand the way I grew up. Okay, all those statements basically equate to here, have a little piece of land. In other words, I'm going to make peace with you. And you can stay at a certain level in my life. That's not allowable. What God wants is people who are ready to go to war, declare war, declare violent hatred, war on this issue. So here's what we're going to do. You can tell I've been hanging around in the National Archives. (laughs) Borrowed some language from the Founding Fathers. Declaration of freedom from... I hope at this point you have put a name on whatever your most controlling issue or issues is. If you have not done that, then I would want you to do it either right now, while you're sitting there, right now, do it. Or do it immediately once you've left here and had a moment to really chew on it and give it a good name. But what is your personal controlling tyrant? What's it called? Is it fear of man? Is it jealousy? Is it pride? Is it uh, drugs or alcohol? It's sensuality. What, what, what is it? Put a name on this thing. Because we're going to declare war this morning. This is a war room. This is a Continental Congress meeting this morning. And, and, and it's the right thing to do. As a matter of fact, as we're going to see, it's the duty of every Christian. When in the course of human events, it becomes necessary for a child of God... I changed some of the language. So it's not actually the Declaration of Independence... Becomes necessary for a child of God to dissolve the bands which connect him with a controlling issue in his life. And to assume by the power of the Holy Spirit the life of separation and abundance endowed by his creator. Principally, the right of life, liberty, and the pursuit of godliness. It becomes necessary that when a long train of deceit, abuses, and usurpations create the stealing of joy... It is the Christian's right and it is his duty to throw off such a controlling issue and to actively pursue the warfare necessary to subdue this tyrant for the glory of God. And that's what we're doing this morning. I therefore make the following 
declarations. One, I declare war on false ideas and determined to fight to know the truth in this area of struggle. And let me just say this. If you're going to fight and wage a war, I believe, and I could probably expand this list bigger. I tried to make it small enough for it to be meaningful enough. These five areas have got to be the battlefronts. You're going to have to fight on all five of these fronts. In warfare, you just don't get one battlefront in war. You have to fight your battle against your issue on all these fronts. And the first one is false ideas. Declaring war on false ideas. I believe that's got to be the starting place. Truth has got to transcend the false ideas out of which we live our lives. How I feel about this. What aims I have in life. Why I'm, I'm believing this would be the best course of action. I have to have this relationship. People need to relate to me a certain way. I've got to have another drink. Those are all false ideas. I need to declare war on those ideas. John 8, verse 31. If you abide in my word, you are truly my disciples, and you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. That's that's a fact. That's a fact in the economy of God. The truth of God will set us free. But I I can't hold on to false ideas and truth at the same time. One or the other can sit on the table at at, at one time. They both can't exist together. So I, I have to go to war with false ideas that I've made friends with. The Bible says my people are destroyed for lack of knowledge. If I don't know the truth, I'm seriously in trouble. Now, let me ask you this. In the area that you would write down that you're declaring war on, if I were to walk up to you and just meet you in a moment and say, quote two or three Bible passages for me right now that have to do with the area you're struggling with. How many of you just would start backpedaling? Uh, 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 well, I think uh, God helps those who help themselves. Um, no, that's not the Bible. Uh, see, listen, this is, we haven't even got out of the starting blocks far here, right? I just want you to analyze your own heart in this. Why is freedom so hard? Why is it such a battle? Well, it could be because you don't put any bullets in your gun. And when your issue raises itself up, and it speaks to you, seeks to control you, and you pull out your gun and you go, click, click, click. And after you've done that enough times, you stop even pulling the gun out. It just comes, you surrender, you walk off with it, and you're just right in the throes of being controlled by it. If you're going to fight, you're going to have to have truth. You're going to have to study this issue. It's an issue in your life. How many books have you read on it? Have you memorized the Bible? Have you chewed on Bible passages until you can explain to anybody who'd ask you every word in that verse? You understand the the language originally that was in it. You understand the context of it. You understand the nuances of why the writer chose that word that way. It means something to you. You have walked around, put that verse on. You've memorized that verse and several others. And they are constantly at your disposal. When that issue that is an issue constantly makes itself known, you greet it with strength from the Word of God that you have studied adequately. You know what a concordance is. You know what a topical Bible study is. You know how to find your way around in materials. You know that when an issue pops up, 
you come and ask one of the pastors, can you recommend a tape series for me? Can you recommend a book for me? You go to your, your covenant group leader. What resources could you give me? You make it your responsibility to study this thing out until you know the truth about this issue in your life. You know the truth about it. Because if you don't know the truth about the issue in your life, you can't move from where you are. You can only be further deceived. It's not that Christianity has been tried and found wanting. But rather that it's been left untried. If right now in the issues of your struggle you can't come to mind with Bible verses that you just quoted to yourself yesterday or the day before, you're not in a war. You're at peace with this issue in your life. Second, I declare war on unbelief and determined to believe God with all my heart. So once you get truth going in your mind, now it's a matter of do you really believe it? You believe what God has said. God has said it, but do you really believe it? Or do you believe the years of history? Do you believe the perceptions? Do you believe your own ideas? You're much more familiar with them because you rehearse them over and over again. You can, you can quote those babies back. You've got a book written inside your head. But do you really believe God? Oh, but what God said doesn't feel. It's like I put on the wrong shoe. But do you believe God? It's God who said it. It's the right shoe. Keep it on your foot. Well, I don't know. Because it doesn't feel right. It doesn't feel right because it's foreign. But it's what God said. Do I believe God? James chapter 1 says, Prove yourselves doers of the word, not merely hearers who delude themselves. For if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he is like a man who looks at his natural face in a mirror. For once he has looked at himself and gone away, he has immediately forgotten what kind of person he was. And this can happen every day when you leave church. I got convicted, experienced something from God. It was a revelation. I walked out and I forgot about it. It never became belief. It only became information. But one who looks intently at the perfect law, the law of liberty, and abides by it, not having become a forgetful hearer, but an effectual doer. This man, this man will be blessed in what he does. This man is going to be the one who's blessed in what he does. Not the one who forgets, not the one who's vaguely familiar, but the one who looks intently at the word of God. This man will be blessed. Freedom in our life begins with winning the battle in the mind. Let me tell you, it's a battle. You are going to fight some issues. Let me, let me encourage you to do some weird stuff, right? Weird stuff. How many people talk to yourselves? Right? I mean, you're weird, aren't you? Come on, go ahead and admit it. This is a group of weirdos. If you're, driving, you're driving in traffic. You look at the person in the car next to you, and he's having a conversation. You think that guy's lost it, don't you? He's a weirdo. How many of y'all think brainwashing is a good thing? See, I mean, I'm telling you, this is weird stuff, isn't it? But what do you do at Romans chapter 12? About the renewal of the mind. Brainwash, renew, wash, renew. I mean, whatever you want to call it. Something needs to get some goofy, stupid thinking out of our head. So if, you know, if the image of soap and water helps, well, great. Wash your brain. Wash your brain really, really good. Some fresh tide color or odor or something. Use it. I need to be brainwashed. How many of you all think, you know, Oh, you know, you got criticized for this when you were younger. Oh, well, they just talked you into that. You just got talked into that. How many of you know you might need to be talked into righteousness? You might need to be talked into something 
that God wants you. You're going to need to talk to yourself, wash your brain, and, and, and talk yourself into some things. To really believe. If I really believe, and I'm going to stop believing that, I'm going to have to do all those things. And the Bible's all over that. Look at Psalm 42 for a second. This will change the way you drive into work in the morning. People will be thinking, you are, look at that guy over there, man. He is, he is having quite a conversation. As a deer pants for flowing streams, so pants my soul for you, O God. My soul thirsts for God, for the living God. When shall I come and appear before God? Listen to this. My tears have been my food day and night, while they say to me continually, Where is your God? Something inside of you is talking to you. And if you listen to it, you are going to be in trouble. Rather than listening to it, you need to argue with it. When something inside you says, well, why do you believe that? Where is God? That's not true. You've never been able. When those thoughts come, you better be ready for the fight. You better be the most argumentative, obnoxious individual you've ever come across in that moment. I don't care if you're normally polite and sweet. In this moment, it's time to throw all that off and be a real bear and confront those thoughts. Listen to what this psalmist writer says. These things, these things, in that moment, these things I remember as I pour out my soul. How I would go with the throng and lead them in procession to the house of God with glad shouts and songs of praise, a multitude-keeping festival. Why are you cast down, O my soul? You're talking to yourself. And why are you in turmoil within me? Hope in God, for I shall again praise Him, my salvation and my God. My soul is cast down within me, therefore I remember you. Now he starts talking to himself. He starts arguing with himself because he's cast down. Why am I down? Why am I feeling this way? He doesn't just give in to it. He starts to fight with it. And when he goes to fight, notice what he ends up saying. My soul is cast down within me. Therefore, I remember thoughts, you, theology. Same principles. When I go to face my issues, I'm going to have to think right. Why am I feeling this way? Why am I thinking these thoughts? Arguing with himself, getting his thoughts right, he begins to call to mind other things. And he begins to call to mind other things about God. I will again rejoice. I will. He's not rejoicing right now. His bed has been soaked in tears, he said. But I will rejoice. Oh, but it doesn't feel like I will, but I will. I know I will. Well, why are you so convinced of that? Look, your circumstances is this. You can't pay a bill. Your, your physical condition is this. That's never going to change. Well, what would be the reason for me to believe that I can? Because I know something about Him. I base my decision in Him. Not in my circumstance, not in my abilities, but in Him. My theology is right. And therefore, my thinking gets right. In Psalm 103. And the guy talking to himself. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me. Bless His holy name. Bless the Lord, O my soul, listen, and forget not all His benefits. 
you might have to stop and think. Lord, help me. Help me remember in this moment. I feel terrible. This issue again, this failure, this struggle. And you have to think your way through that. You have to argue your way through that. And you begin to think about the benefits of God. You begin to set your mind on things that are above. He forgives all your iniquity. Well, that, that, ought, well, that, ought, that ought to just take the edge off. Whatever it is that was bitter and what you just bit into today in your life. To stop and ponder the forgiveness of God in the midst of that event. It's going to reshape that event. It's going to, it's going to put it back down to the size that it really needs to be. The forgiveness of God who heals all your diseases, who redeems your life from the pit, who crowns you with steadfast love and mercy, who satisfies you with good so that your youth is renewed like the eagles. And he just goes through the whole psalm telling himself, bless God for these reasons. See, his theology is big. And in that moment, his thoughts can borrow from that theology and he can begin to think right in his life. Listen, if you're going to get free... You're going to have to fight. You're going to have to fight and argue with yourselves. I mean, I, I, I was reminded of this uh, when we went to Virginia. Um, just, just thanking God for his freedom and, and issues in my own life. So I shared with you guys that, you know, for me to, to lead something or speak publicly, would have involved for years mental gymnastics. Knowing that there was a speaking event coming up, uh, you know, it could have been two, three, four weeks out. Just the thought of it was enough to cause my stomach to migrate up into my ears. And just to have that sense of, oh, like something just turned over and died in me. And and just the thoughts. And and I I would have to spend weeks arguing with myself because my flesh wanted to be indulged. It wanted to say, cancel, act like you're sick, tell them you can't do it. And I just, it wanted an out. And, and I would have to argue with why, why should I do this? Why, why? You could screw up. You could be embarrassed. They will not be impressed. You know, why? And I had to wrestle through all the dynamics. And I can remember conversations with myself of, you know, God, what, what if I just totally failed? What if I just totally failed? These are the conversations I would have to have with myself. What if I just totally blew it, screwed up, failed? My flesh would be going, wouldn't that be terrible? <laughs> It'd be terrible. But part of me would argue with that and say, what would be so bad? These are people I've known for years. And see, you know, if you screwed up, so they probably wouldn't be all that bothered by it anyway. Well, And, and plus, you know, God, it, and it's really not about whether I succeed. It's whether or not whether I obey you. That's what you, you want me to do this. I'm going to do it. And if you want me to fall flat on my face and be embarrassed, perhaps that's what you want. And if that's what you want, I'm okay with that. I would rather be found in your will, embarrassed, than not do something. And this is a conversation I'd be having. And then then I'd begin to argue the realm of acceptance. Well, really, ultimately, in my heart, God, this is about acceptance. I want people to accept me. And so now I'm on to the next subject. And I'm having to argue with myself about, do I really want to seek acceptance from people? Is that really what I want to do? Well, no, God, it's not what I want to do because I know ultimately what I only need is your acceptance. And if you have accepted me in your son, then that's really, that really is sufficient for my life. That's a, I have been accepted by you. And I would have these conversations with myself over and over and over and over again for years. 
So you might sign the Declaration of Independence on uh, July 4th, 1776, but the War of Independence wasn't over until 1783. You might this morning say, I declare war. You might just be opening the door to a whole lot of arguments going on on the inside of you. But the joy for me was being able to go to another city, to another church, to people I don't know, I'm not comfortable with, and to be fine. To not have to jump through mental hoops, to not have to play the gymnastics thing, and to be reminded, Lord, ten years ago, this would have been a miserable trip. But it is a joy. See, freedom really does come. But you do need to declare war and fight and live in the good of that. And God will bring freedom. His promises are real. You you have to believe Him, though. And you have to say no to yourself in many ways. Let me go through these last couple of ones quickly. Third, I declare war on weak, ineffective prayer and determined to build a meaningful and vibrant prayer life. I said, well intentions, you need the presence of God. You need to to do what the Puritans described when they said, pray until you pray. Pray until you pray. Pray until you have this sense that God has come near me. This issue has floated up. God has touched it. Conviction has come. Resolve has come. Effect from God has come in my life. And you know, if you live your Christian life never having a prayer life like that, you're going to have a really hard time fighting in the day of great battle. It needs to have an effect on you. I like the way Bridget Herman says, no meditation is really valid unless it leaves us with something to which we can return during the day's business and find it helpful there. Pray over these truths. Interact with God. Argue over these things in the presence of God until you have this sense that, ah, that's good. Tomorrow, God, I'm going to use that. Because when the issue comes tomorrow, you're going to want to remember God made something really quicken something in your heart. You need to have a real prayer life for that to occur. Four, I declare war on feeding the flesh and determine to practice a disciplined life that buffets my body. That's biblical. Listen, don't, don't think you can just kind of let your flesh eat whatever it wants Sleep as long as it wants. Avoid difficult situations. Don't ever confront anybody because you don't like that. If, if you feed your flesh, even if it's in areas that you're not having big struggles in, you, you condition your flesh to always have to be told yes. Yes. Remember, your flesh wants to be indulged. And so if you don't have a regular practice of telling your flesh, no. No, we will get up at that point. No, no we will fast on that day. See, part of fasting is is inflicting yourself for humility's purpose. That's part of a biblical reason for fasting. Sometimes you just don't need, well, I've got this big decision going on in my life, and and I'm going to have to fast. That's a biblical reason for fasting as well. But one of the other biblical reasons for fasting is to afflict your flesh so that your flesh never gets to that place where it rules you. Your flesh needs to be delayed, told no, not right now. It needs that. And so make sure you have created a lifestyle that incorporates that. Because this indulging the flesh will eat you alive if you don't. Five, I declare war on unbiblical independence and determine to cultivate the practice of fellowship and serving others. And Matt really spoke on this effectively last week. And I I highlight it again because there's something about jail cell issues 
that if left to themselves and you're left alone, that they will multiply, they will grow. But there's something about people in your life. Um, uh, Eric, go ahead and come, buddy. There's something about people in your life. People, people irritate those issues, which is a good thing, because they make you know that they're still there. And if you get around people and you're having true biblical fellowship, you're sharing about your life and they're speaking to you and they're relating to you and the overlap of your life that's biblical is, is bringing about a sense of revelation of those issues. And then serving others. If, you know, if, you, if you're in this church and you want to deal with issues in your life, you need to be relating to people in fellowship and you need to be serving others. Because a controlling issue in your life is a revelation that you're... Your flesh has this indulgence component, and it just wants to suck everything into it. It's very me-oriented. It's all about me. When you serve others, you say no to yourself for the benefit of somebody else. That issue needs that in your life. So here's what I'd like for us to do. I'd like for you to take this and, and keep it this week. And the little space that's provided there is going to be for your review. It's a little quote in the middle of the page there. It's Patrick Henry's. Knowing that if we wish to be free, we must fight. So therefore, let us pay attention to how we are waging war. I gave you space there to put specific scriptures pertaining to your issue that need to be memorized. Get the truth of God into that issue. Set the table for war to break out between what those Bible verses are saying and what your wrong thoughts are saying. And then here's your weekly assignment. Based on how you've done with your five declarations over the past week, give yourself a grade for each one. Right? Declare war on false ideas. Well, you know, I didn't read my Bible. I didn't study the issue this week. I would give myself an F. And then, okay, well, the first one's an F. Declare war on unbelief. Uh, maybe you did better in a couple other categories. Give yourself a grade like you're in school. Okay? Continue this practice of monitoring for the next month and let freedom reign. I think what you're going to find is if you do the things that actually lead to freedom, that are biblical, that we're, we're told that we need to do, I think you won't be able to say, I've, I've tried Christianity. Tried it and I found wanting. It just fell short. It didn't produce in me the freedom. I think if we're all honest, the freedom, the reason why freedom is limited in our lives is because we don't do the things that lead to freedom. God has said here, I want you to be free, but all these things that we talked about today are part of the freedom and the means to which he has given it to us. If I won't declare war and then engage the warfare, then I'm not going to be free. These issues will stay in my life. They'll be there five years from now, ten years from now. What a tragedy. Let's stand up together. wish to be free we must fight but thank you for provoking us with examples of of people who desired freedom it was freedom for themselves for their families for their country 
And they were willing that freedom should have a price tag. Willing to lay down comfort, familiarity, ease, patterns of doing things. They were willing to part with that. They were willing to have their lives come to an end as they knew it. And yet, Lord, what were they ultimately trying to have? Something that was temporary, some ideology, something on a piece of land somewhere. And Lord, we would call these men noble. But yet, Lord, you have given us a much higher calling. For, Lord, in our lives, you have allowed us to become the canvas upon which the beauty, the power, the triumph, and the victory of our God are being put on display. Oh God, what a calling. What a call you have given to us individually. That as we wage war, we fight for a freedom that was purchased on a hill by the Son of God Himself. And we live in the good of what He's accomplished. And we are empowered by the Spirit. Lord, this is a new day. Lord, we know that You have created a means for us to walk in that freedom. And Lord, today we have, we have observed those means. And Lord, today what we stand together, we stand to agree, Lord, we declare war on these issues, these tyrants in our lives, these that have deceived us, they have usurped Your authority in our lives, they have run through our lives stealing from us, Lord, the days of stolen joy have been too many. And God, today we stand before You resolved. If it should cost us our lives, we declare war on these issues. If we should die in the process of pursuing freedom, Lord, let us die. Because we don't love our own lives, even to the point of death. Instead, Lord, we love the appearing of Your glory in our midst. That you might be seen victorious, triumphant God, liberating captives, and bringing to us a joy that no one can take from us. Lord, today, let the shots be heard around the world, in the Spirit, that we have declared no more. No more to the reign of tyrannical jail cell issues in our lives. Oh God, in the days ahead, Bring us to the battlefront well-armed, well-informed with a resolve given by the Holy Spirit to see Your victory in our lives. In Jesus' name, Amen.